This is one of the most enjoyable Sunday messages that I ever get to preach each year. I love speaking about missions. I love giving a focus to our church as to what we are about and what we participate in. I remember when I had an opportunity to interview with the, the pastoral pulpit committee when I was hoping that you would ask me to be your pastor, and I spoke to them concerning the importance of being a missionary giving church and a missionary going church. Because I believe that there is something within that that brings life to the body. And today I want to speak for just a few minutes about our attitude about the lost. Our attitude about the lost. I want you to know very clearly right now that there is a message that was preached by Dick Brogdon to the Assemblies of God at its 100th centennial a little over a year ago. And I have listened to that message a number of times. In fact, Pastor Pablo said he's listened to it more times than he can count. He had forwarded it to me, and as I was listening to that, it gripped my heart in such a powerful way. I thought today about just showing you the entire message, but it was longer than what we were going to be able to have today. And so I want you to know that many of my thoughts are drawn from that message, but I want you to at least jot his name down, Dick Brogdon, and I think the message is titled Abide. And if you wanted to go online and listen to that, it will, I promise you, stir your heart. Dick Brogdon is the leader of the Live Dead Missions approach, and we have had a number of young missionaries who are coming, and we'll have one coming in November that is going into this Live Dead missionary approach, and, and uh, I'm astounded at what God is doing in the lives of so many of our missionaries who are willing to go to places that other people would run from. Before I begin this morning, I'm going to ask that you to just bow your heads because I really, really want Jesus to be able to do a work through his Holy Spirit in our heart today. Lord, as we, as we come into this place today, we recognize that over these next few minutes, your Holy Spirit is going to be given an opportunity to influence our thinking, to influence our lifestyle, to rearrange our priorities. And I ask, Lord, that through your anointing that you would allow me to communicate clearly your heart for the lost so that your heart would be transplanted into each of us that call you Lord and Savior and that from that our behavior would replicate that of yours. We sang today about how you pursue the lost, you kick down walls, you tear down every lie. I pray that in our missionaries' lives and in our behavior today that that would be true of us as we walk in tune with you and walk in step with your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I give you these next few moments and ask that you would do what you desire in Jesus name amen I don't do this very often but I have a book that I want to recommend to you the book is called the insanity of God and I'd like you to jot it down somewhere the name of this the insanity of God it's written by Nick Ripkin my wife read it first, and my daughter, and they recommended it to me, and our board and our pastoral staff have just finished going through this book for the last several months within our leadership meetings, and I want you to know that this, world, this book is going to rock your view of missions and, and your view of the world. It will change your heart. It will bring to you a place where you understand just how blessed we are and just how important it is for us to recognize what our missionaries' lives are like in some of the most difficult places of the world. I guarantee you that there will be times that you will read this in tears. And times when after you're done with that, your prayer life will be transformed as the way that you pray for our missionaries. And so again, it's called The Insanity of God by Nip Ripkin. And I want you to know that the title of the book is a little, is a little misleading, but it's the story of a missionary's life who 
faced unbelievable things and how God continued to build their faith through all of it. It's influenced my theology of missions and it's transformed me and my wife in a number of different ways and I pray that it will do the same for you. This morning I'd like if you would to turn to Matthew chapter 28. Verses 19 to 20, many of you may have this memorized because we know it is the Great Commission. The scripture simply says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to repeat the word all nations with me. All nations. I want you to understand that there is not a, a single area of our world that is exempt from being reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There is hope for Grace Assembly only if we unite in taking the gospel at immense personal cost, at immense corporate cost to the people and the places where the gospel has not gone. I believe that we can do this, and I believe that we must do this. In fact, I believe that every church must do this. And if they don't, if missions and missionaries are something that is pushed off to the side and they decide not to involve themselves, I believe that that is a church that is on the pathway to perishing and on the pathway to death. And I have three simple exhortations to give you today. Number one, to abide. Number two, to apostle. And number three, to abandon. We will obey the Lord Jesus and his commission if we return to the simplicity of just loving him or abiding in him. We will obey the Lord Jesus and complete his commission if we advance together to plant the church where the church does not exist or if we apostle. We will obey the Lord Jesus and his commission if we embrace, and this is a difficult one for us as an American church, if we embrace suffering and persecution for Jesus' sake as our normal reality, if we learn to abandon ourselves for the cause of Christ. The first point this morning is that we must abide. We must return and maintain the simplicity of having Jesus. In John's missionary gospel, chapter 15, John simply states the heart of missions when he declares, and this is coming from the New King James Version, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. An exegesis of the text reveals that Jesus is directly promising that if you abide in him, and he abides in you, you will dis make disciples, and those disciples will remain. In other words, there is a, a, a connection that is made that if he lives within you, and you live within him and abide in him, everything about your life will be fruitful. There will be fruit, and it will remain. Paul puts this in perspective in 1 Corinthians 2.2 2 when he says, I am determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he worried that his disciples would drift away from the simplicity of Christ. And I must tell you that it becomes so easy for us in the land in which we live to be so burdened by everything else that we forget the simplicity that everything depends on us being in Christ. 
and Christ being in us. Dick Brogdon was 22 years old and had just graduated from North Central University when he landed in the Islamic Republic of Mauritania. Mauritania is a West African nation that is 99% Islamic. Civil war had just ended in 1992, and the team that he was going to join was not happy that this young American would come and join them and jeopardize them and endanger their work. He walked out of the modest airport to be met by the leader, the, the acting leader of the team, who was a big, strong, rugby-playing British man. And as he was wearing a Mauritanian robe, and he had a frown on his face, and his arms were folded across his chest. And he greeted Dick with these words, We don't want you. You are not welcome. Get back on the plane and go home. He said, I stood there for a few minutes arguing with that man on the tarmac of that summer evening. And I determined in that moment that I refused to get back on the plane. Coming to an impasse with his new leader, he said to him, If you will not leave, this is what I'm going to do to you. I have arranged a one-room rental for you in the middle of the slum. The room shares a courtyard with an old grandmother and her grandchild. There is no water, no electricity, no furniture, no kitchen, no supplies and only a one-inch foam mattress on the floor and there's a pit toilet for you to use in a public area of the courtyard. I will drop you off in the middle of the slum and I will abandon you for two weeks. If you can survive those two weeks, we will consider allowing you to join our team. And that's just what he did. Dick Brogdon was dumped in the slum where he knew no one he could speak no Arabic. It was just him and Jesus all day long. He would wake up at 5 in the morning and pray till the sun came up. He would read his Bible and walk in the streets, watching where the local people would buy bread. He would walk up to the baker and he would point to a loaf of bread and he said, Then I would open my wallet and ask, Take out whatever you need for the bread. He said, I would spend my days praying and crying out to Jesus for help. I was alone and I was afraid. And at sunset, I would walk outside my slum to the large garbage piles that stretch from the city all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. And I would walk amongst the garbage, and I would begin to sing to Jesus because there was nobody else that I could talk to. I had one thing. I had nothing. And all that I had was Jesus. And in those African sunsets, Jesus came down and he walked with me. And oh, how sweet his presence was. And oh, how close he felt. I would sing, and I would cry, and I would pour out my heart to him. And Jesus came near to me. And the nearer that Jesus came, the worse I felt about myself. I was praying four hours a day, reading massive amounts of scripture, and yet the closer I came to Jesus, and the nearer he came to me, the more I was ashamed of my sin, and the more I was astounded by his grace, and the more I was shattered with his love for the lost. I would sing songs like, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. I would cry and rejoice that Jesus had saved me. And I felt like my heart would burst with his presence. I would cry and mourn that every stinking person that I saw was going to hell. And I felt that I would explode in my heart for passion for them. Jesus was all that I had. And Jesus was all that I wanted. And Jesus was all that I needed. And it was so uncomparably sweet to have nothing but simply Jesus. And from that simplicity of having nothing but Jesus, 
from the sweetness of abiding in him, from the nothingness of being unable to help anyone, came an incredible power and favor. Friends, I want you to know something today. We will not change the world because we are strong. We won't reach the nations because we are many. We will not evangelize the lost because we are rich. The power is not in our numbers. The power is not in ourselves. Our power is in the precious presence of Jesus Christ and learning to abide in him for everything that we need for life and godliness. The power of the Pentecostal is not ultimately in the signs and wonders for they will deceive even the elect if they are not helped. The strength of the Pentecostal is not found in the ecstatic utterances. The cardinal doctrine of Pentecost is more, but not just an, is more power, but not just an impersonal power, but it's more of Jesus. Pentecostal power is rooted in the person of Jesus. John 16, 14 tells us that the Spirit glorifies Christ. Spirit baptisms are further steps into the knowledge by whereby Jesus becomes more real to our soul. And when men and women linger in the presence of Jesus, and when we hunger and we thirst, and we ache for more of Jesus, Jesus will respond and Jesus will come to us. Jesus abides with us. Jesus baptizes us with his precious Holy Spirit. And the power that we are clothed with by the Spirit is not mechanical energy for power alone. Because ironically, the more power we seem to have, the farther we seem to stray from Jesus. But Pentecost is the power of divine life imparted to us by the Spirit through intimacy with the divine Son. And when Jesus is all that thrills our soul, he cannot be contained with just within our heart. He dwells within our spirit. He will burst forth from our tongues. And when Jesus is all we want, we find in him all we need for our life. And then, being full of him, we will be capable of standing in front of men and women with faces shining and eyes piercing and tongues praising. It's an ongoing experience. And the reality of Jesus empowers our witness. So listen to me, Pentecostal people. We don't seek signs, we don't seek wisdom, we don't seek tongues, we seek an unbroken wonder of being lost in the presence of Jesus, because Jesus is our power, Jesus is our sign, Jesus is our wisdom, Jesus is our tongue, Jesus is our distinctive, he is our focus, he is our wonder, Jesus is our life, he is our all in all, and if we as a church return to the simplicity of only wanting Jesus, everything else will be possible. Secondly, we believe that we can complete this great mission if we will apostle. If we advance together the planting of the church where it does not exist. The Apostle Paul spoke in Romans chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, about what God had accomplished when he said, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word or deed, to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I fully have preached the gospel of Christ. Today, we give praise and glory to the Lord Jesus for the honor 
of having watched what God has done through the missionary outreach of the Assemblies of God. We have seen fully the gospel preached from Los Angeles to Boston, from Boston to Nigeria, from Nigeria to Mauritius, from Mauritius to southern India, from southern India to the Philippines, from the Philippines up to China, and from China to Fiji, and from Fiji to Argentina, from Argentina north into Mexico, and from Mexico back into the Bible Belt of the United States. Praise and honor and glory to Jesus' name for what he has done through the gospel because it's been fully preached and many frontiers have been penetrated. Indigenous churches have been planted, and this is marvelous in our eyes, and we rejoice what God has done. But Paul continues on with this in Romans in verse 20 when he says this, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another mountain's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And to those who have not heard, they shall understand. Paul says, I have made it my aim. He tells this Corinthian church that he pioneered that he must go and preach the gospel to regions that are beyond them. We have entered a day where the spiritual power, I want you to listen closely to this. We have entered a day where spiritual power, the spiritual power center of the church is no longer in America. Pentecostal power to live a crucified life is no longer in America. The wind of Pentecost now blows and the fire of evangelism now range not from us to the world, but from the world to us. While America's spiritual power is in decline, Due to our wealth and comfort, the persecuted church around the world is being tasked to batter the gates of hell with their praise and their unwavering faith and belief that the cause of Christ is worth more than their own lives. And while we suffer under the deadening weight of pursuing wealth and personal security, we are clearly to see that the Church of America has given away the task of global mission. In many cases... The Western church has been reduced to being the funders and donors of the gospel, while the persecuted church suffers and dies for its advance. For if we are regulated only to funding their sacrifice, we of all people shall be most pitiful. Grace Assembly, do not think that we can be fully obedient by resourcing the martyrdom of our friends from the comfort of our homes and the comfort of our churches. We too must have a Calvary before we have our Pentecost. There is some dying to self that needs to take place within our own lives so that we can fully understand the power and the preciousness of the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ that must be taken throughout the whole world. And while we decide every Sunday morning if there's something else that we would rather do than go and participate in the gospel proclamation of our local church, there are vast segments of our world that today will receive no witness of Jesus Christ. Yes, we must apostle, but this apostleship will not be rendered in the shadow of a thousand steeples. Our missionary partnership must take us arm in arm and bended knee with bended knee to the hard places the Muslim world where some must go and live and some must go and die in the most unstable of locations within our world. Because until then, the bride of Christ is not complete. 
Watch with me as Dick Brogdon illustrates the beauty of Christ as completed only when the whole world sees. As Lauren Triplett rightly said, we must measure ourselves by what is left undone. Jesus is coming for a beautiful bride, and yet as long as there are unreached peoples, the bride is still defigured. The Rashida are unreached, and the bride has no eye. The Pashtun are unreached, and the bride has no teeth. The Somali are unreached, and the bride has no hair. 1.6 billion Muslims are unreached and the bride has no ear. Hundreds of peoples across central Eurasia are unreached and the bride has no nose. This is a vital aspect of mission so little understood. Not only do absent peoples mar the church, absent peoples mar the image of Jesus. For the church doesn't have the fullness of Jesus until the fullness of the nations have him. And look at this image of a marred, incomplete bride. And yet, every time an unreached people group joins the fold, a new perspective of God is released into Christian corpus. Think of it. Turkmen of Central Asia are saved. We get our nose back. Muslims redeemed and we gain an ear. God is glorified by the Somali and our head is adorned with hair. The gospel progresses across the Pashtun and we get our teeth. The Rashida respond to the glory of God and we gain an eye. The church is beautified by the spread of the gospel. That is a powerful visual. It becomes so easy for us to sit back and smile thinking that we're doing our part when there are yet unreached peoples across this world that are marring the view and the beauty of the bride of Christ. Missions cannot biblically nor logically be Christians blessing other Christians. The biblical presentation of missions demands a focused intensity that compels us toward the regions of the people that are beyond us that have not yet heard. We believe that missions takes up the fundamental human right and that every human being deserves the right to hear the gospel presented in a way that they can understand at least once in their life. The human wrong is that due to laziness, and disobedience, and selfishness, and fear, no Assembly of God missionary was sent to the Arabian Peninsula for almost a hundred years after the Pentecostal outpouring of Azusa Street. The human wrong is that we are willing to send our children as soldiers to the difficult countries of the Middle East to effect a temporary change, but we are unwilling to send our children as missionaries for eternal purposes. The right thing to do is to preach the gospel. The humane thing to do is focus on eternal souls. And you may ask, Pastor Doug, why is giving and sending missionaries so important to you that it would be part of the vision statement of Grace Assembly of why we exist locally to globally pursuing every heart with the love of Jesus? Because I believe that if you pastor in Assemblies of God Church but you do not support boots-on-the-ground missionaries, if you're not supporting them so that they can go to places that you will not go, you may carry our name but you have no part in our spirit. You may have an Assembly of God sign over your church, but, it, but if you do not give to missions, then you live in defiant disobedience to the Holy Spirit. 
The greatest impact of missions giving is the monthly support of the boots on the ground missionaries. And if we as church families are not regularly sacrificing, giving to support our missionaries around the world, then there is a gaping hole in your personal discipleship that needs to be addressed by the Holy Spirit. Grace Assembly is 101 years old. And we must recommit ourselves to a sacrificial partnership with missionaries who are willing to go to unreached people groups. For if we ignore the lost, if we ignore the lost, Grace Assembly will soon be in the dustbin of church history. Locally to globally. Last week we had a missions group that stood here and talked about going and what they had experienced there. And one of the things that was brought up, I believe it was Lesia Savage that was talking about taking the temperature of individuals and discovering that they were all very cold in the morning because they had no blankets. So what we discovered and what we decided, some suggestions came in, is that we as a church are going to begin, rather this year than giving out boxes for Christmas to the kids that we've done in the past, we're going to buy blankets for the people that have no blankets to sleep on in Ecuador. We want to send as many blankets as we can possibly buy so that the Andersons can begin to hand out blankets so at least the children have something to cover themselves when they're sleeping on the bare ground with. We cannot be faced with the needs of the world and turn our backs in our abundance and leave them cold at night. So globally, we are going to have a blanket drive so that when our teams go back in the future, they're Temperatures will not be 95 degrees in the morning because they are suffering from hypothermia. We also are going to begin to pay attention to some of the local needs that we have here. We are going to be taking a special offering on November the 17th so that we can fill the food bank of our local community. All of those, after the offering is taken, all of those who are interested in shopping and would like to take the gift cards that we have and go grocery shopping, we are going to take all of those groceries that we buy, and we're going to come and we're going to fill up our platform with them, and we're going to pray over that food on the next Sunday. And then we're going to bless locally those that don't have what we have and bless their life during both of our services because this vision statement to us is not just something that looks pretty on a banner. It's got to be something that we live locally to globally, pursuing every heart with the love of Jesus. And then lastly, we must live with abandon. I see a wind changing in our nation. I believe that the church of America is quickly coming to a place where it's going to cost you something to be a disciple of Jesus. I believe that there is going to be a sifting that comes And as it comes, it's going to begin to determine those of you who will embrace suffering for Jesus as a normal part of life versus those that said, I wanted to follow Christ as long as it was easy. Jesus himself was made perfect through suffering. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered, he said. He was made of no reputation, humbled himself, obedient to the point of death. He said, I was poured out as a drink offering. Jesus promises trouble and persecution will arise because of the word. A grain of wheat will die, but it will produce much grain. The world will hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. You will be hated for my name's sake. Children will cause parents to be put to death. I didn't come to to bring peace, but a sword. He who will not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
He who finds his life will lose it. He who endures to the end will be saved. Woe to the church that is rich. Woe to the church when men speak well of it. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are you who hunger. Blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you when men hate you and revile you. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For this is what happens to a prophetic, spirit-filled church that is full of Jesus. And then in paraphrase of Luke chapter 17, 9 and 10, verse 33. When you have suffered all of these things, say, we have only suffered what it is our duty to suffer. For whoever loses his life will preserve it. Tozier said, it would be less than honest to promise every believer continued jubilee and less than realistic to expect it. As a child may cry out in pain, even though that child is sheltered in its mother's arms, a Christian may sometimes know what it is to suffer, even in the conscious presence of God. Those that joyfully suffered before us knew what Tozier was talking about. In 1869, Robert Bruce went to modern-day Iran. He wrote of his efforts, I am not reaping, I am not sowing, I can hardly say that I'm planting, but what I am doing is I'm gathering stones from the field. The Bliss family came along and plowed, and as they plowed, they ended up burying their own children in the country of Iran. The Hike family came along and sowed with their own literal blood for the cause of Jesus Christ. And today, the fastest growing church per capita in the world is among the Iranians. Because somebody counted the cost worthy to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. Because the biblical precedent is not unmitigated growth and progress from victory to victory. Thanks be to God who understands that there are times when he leads us in triumph and it goes from victory to the cross. From victory to the cross, from victory to the cross, and then to victory. And ultimately he will win the ultimate victory. But it will not be without picking up your cross and following him. When Jesus is so precious to us that his people will willingly embrace trial and loss for him, there is a force that is released through the spiritual realm. There's something divine that is hurled, and it begins to splinter the gates of hell when the church is saying, I'm ready to abandon all that I am for the cause of Jesus Christ. And when our missionaries suffer, and when our missionaries die, and we are not unmoved. It wounds and it crushes us all. But we rejoice because their sacrifice is not in vain. And their offerings made by fire are a sweet aroma to the Lord. And here we sit today understanding that the decisions that we make as it relates to how we will support missions are based on self-preservation, become indicators of our level of trust in the one who gave everything for us. Jesus asks us in return that we would love him and trust him with the same abandon that he loved us with, even if it costs us our life. And here's what we need to be reminded of. You see, death has no terror to a church that believes in resurrection. Let me repeat that. Death has no terror to a church that believes in resurrection. And I want to propose to you that as a church we have been favored. We have been allowed to grow and we have been protected. We have been given influence for one purpose, 
that we joyfully abandon the comforts to ensure that Jesus is made known, that Jesus shines, and that Jesus be glorified to every human being on the face of the earth at least one time so that they can stand before him having been able to make a decision based on true facts. It's their human rights. Christ loved the church enough to die for it. Does this church love Jesus enough to die for him? If the price of world evangelism is our own decline, if the price of world evangelism is our own demise, will we not willingly and joyfully pay for it as a price that will be paid by all? For it will only be the abandon of our all for Jesus' sake that we realize the evangelism of the world's. For when we obey the Great Commission, it will be because we have learned to abide in Jesus and Jesus becomes our all when we return to the simplicity of having Jesus. We will obey the Great Commission if we apostle, if we advance together to plant the church where the church does not exist. And we will obey the Great Commission if we abandon, if we embrace suffering and persecution for Jesus' sake as our normal reality. I'm going to ask that our instrumentalists would please come. In your bulletin today, there was a pamphlet that looks like this, and I would like you to get a hold of it. It's called Faith Promise Giving. Let me explain to you what Faith Promise Giving means to us as our church. We currently support missions around the world strictly from what comes in every week or every month by those of you who give faith promises. We don't take anything from our general fund. We've been able to to fund and grow our missions giving because of people like you who said, I will faithfully give above and beyond my tithe. That 10% belongs to the Lord. Don't rob him of his 10%, but above and beyond that, we give because we love the lost. And I know that there's already been some of you that have talked to me and said, Pastor, I'm not going to be able to be here next week when we collect these. And if that's the case, then I want you to take that card and I want you to faithfully pray and say, Lord Jesus, I need you to help me realign my priorities. If it means that I have to suffer some decline and that my security disappears a bit because I'm more interested in people hearing the gospel than I am taking care of myself, then so be it. I can tell you that my wife and I have given for years and there's never been one day that we've ever missed what we gave to the Lord. Never one day. But I'm going to ask that you would take this card and I want you to pray about it as a family all week. And I want you to ask the Lord... In light of the fact that we, as a church, want God to bless us and we have plans to reach our community and a new building, but I'm not willing to give up missions for a new building. People are more important than places. This must come first. So I'm going to ask that you be a people of prayer. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask that you take your card and just... Hold it for the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, we hold within our hand an opportunity. An opportunity for us to call you Savior and Lord and Provider. An opportunity for us to come to the recognition that there's nothing more important in our life than the simplicity of having Jesus. An opportunity to be a part of of being an apostle-reaching church that decides that we're going to plant churches in places that are beyond where they've ever been before. Lord, I want us to be a church where young men and young women are raised up 
maybe those that have reached a retirement age that recognize that there's more life for them. And it may be that wherever you lead, even though it may be difficult places, we will gladly send because we recognize that our life sowed as a seed brings forth great fruit. But Lord, just because we become a church that gives to missions, please, please, please raise up missionaries from our midst, oh God, as you did the Andersons years ago. Father, as we hold this within our hand, there are many decisions that we must make, and I pray that you would lead us and guide them in those. I pray that the first thing that comes to our mind will not be what can we afford, but Father, the first thing that comes to our mind is how a bride looks when she's not been completed because there are still unreached people. And Father, we are part of the bride today and we are grateful and thankful for it, but there are those out there today who have yet to hear and we are unsatisfied until they've heard. And so I pray that throughout this week of prayer and preparation that you would remind us of the things we've heard today as we participate in the greatest last day's revival that you've promised in Scripture that we can be a part of it. Oh God, please don't let Grace Assembly die because we think of ourselves and not of the world. So Lord, we'll ask you for your leadership. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask our altar workers if they would prepare themselves to come this morning. I recognize today that this message was not a message for those of you that may not know Jesus as your Savior. It was a message for the church. But I do believe that the Holy Spirit can knock on the door of any heart. And if you're here today and you have been living in the guilt of your sin and shame, I want you to know there's a Savior here that will deliver you and set you free and put you on a brand new path. And I would ask today that you not leave here until you've had a chance to pray with somebody for that. Maybe you're here today and you have a physical need. You need somebody to pray the prayer of faith because we believe that God heals. Maybe there's things taking place, decisions that must be made, or family issues that you would like somebody to pray for. Please, please do not leave until somebody has prayed with you. And for the remainder of you that must go, what I ask of you is that you would have a thought process all week long as you're praying, Lord, how do you want to involve me in the mission's thrust of this great church and what you want to do? That you would be open and obedient. For you that are part of families, I would encourage you to have a family meeting together. For those of you that have teenagers and children, involve them in this discussion so that they can begin to recognize at this age that you love missions and missionaries so desperately that they would be a part of this discussion. I believe oftentimes our children are more willing to sacrifice sometimes than we are. And as you pray, have an ear to hear what the Spirit would have to say. For if you will be obedient then we will be able to do more than we've ever done before for the cause of Jesus Christ around this world. So, Father, I now pray that you would take this word, plant it deep within us. May it change the way that we think about it, the way we practice our theology. May it change the way that we live our lives. And, Lord, for those that are about to dive into this book, The Insanity of God, may the reality of what it's like to live in missions in a hard place shake us to the core so that we can likewise live with the same abandon and support. These things we pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. May God bless you.